I'm going to invite you, if you can, if you're able to get on your knees, to join me on my knees. We're going to pray for a moment, or you can stand where you're at. But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you today with humble hearts, God Almighty. We thank you because you are God and you are God alone. You are our help. You are our hope. You are the almighty king, and we pray today, Lord God, as we are in a time where there is real desperation. And Lord God, I fear that our hearts have become so desensitized to the desperate hour in which we live. Lord God, because of so many different things that bombard our lives, we become so used to sin as the norm, Lord God. Our, 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 our lives are so surrounded by that, Lord. I just pray today that we would sense the weight, that we would sense the desperacy, Lord God, that should be within our hearts for a nation that in so many ways has turned from you, God. God. We have rebelled against you, Lord God. We have dishonored you, Lord. And we pray today for your mercy in our land. Father God, that you would give us wisdom in all things, Lord God, in the areas of immigration. Lord God, give us wisdom. Give our leaders guidance and direction. Give them compassion, Lord God. Open their eyes to what your word says. Lead them, Lord God, not, a, not according to a political agenda, not according to any ideology except that which is clearly outlined in the word of God. Father, we pray as a nation that you would give us a heart for the orphan, that you would give us a heart for the widow, that you would give us a heart for, Lord God, those those mothers, those, those women that are in crisis pregnancy situations. Lord God, that you would give us a heart, Lord God, for the unborn. I pray that you would give us a heart for the elderly. I pray that you would give us a heart, Lord God, for those things for which you died. You died for all of humanity and so Lord God give us a heart of compassion for all of those who walk this earth help us to reverence you and respect one another my God father today we pray for revival in this land we pray for an outpouring of the kingdom we pray for an outpouring of your glory God we acknowledge that apart from you we are not free but we are in bondage Lord God and our independence is solely because of our dependence on you. We are a nation, Lord God, solely because of your mercy and your grace. And so we ask today that you would remind us of that reality and that we would, as a people, humble ourselves before the Almighty God. But above all, Lord God, I pray for us, your church. God, you call us your people. You call us by name. And you call us to repent. You call us to turn from our sin. You call us, Lord God, to seek you while you may yet be found and so God forgive us for our pride forgive us for our own agendas forgive us for forgetting what should be first forgive us for forgetting what should matter forgive us for being complacent and apathetic forgive us my God for not walking in holiness and raising the standard of truth within the culture where you have placed us God almighty forgive us for our cowardice Lord God and above all Lord God forgive us for our prayerlessness Lord God. Forgive us for depending on our own wisdom, our own might, our own ability. Forgive us for bowing, Lord God, to false idols, Lord God, and finding functional saviors in different things, God, and not seeking you as above all, Lord God. Today, we humble ourselves. We pray for your mercy in this land, and we ask, Lord God, begin with us. Purify our hearts. 
us that call you God, us that call ourselves your children and Christians and believers. Lord God, forgive us, cleanse us, and fill us afresh that we may humble our hearts in desperation before you consistently until you move in this land, God. Father, we thank you for this, and we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. If you would stand with me, open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. As you do that, our core kids are dismissed to their classes. Um, the teachers will meet you in the back. Um, for those of you that may be guests with us, you can walk with them out there as well. Colossians chapter 2. And as we're turning there, I just encourage you, don't let today be the only time that you pray for your nation. Don't let today be the only time that you cry out to God for a nation that is in desperate, desperate need of a move of the Spirit of God. Let this be something that reminds you that the church is necessary. Amen? Amen. We're important to the culture, and, and one of the most important contributions that we make to the culture, please hear me when I say this, one of the most important contributions that we make to the culture is that of a spiritual contribution that begins by us praying and seeking the face of God. It's by us calling upon the God who created all and believing that he has the power to change all. Amen? Amen. The book of Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 18 and verse 19. When you got it, say so. And it says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Lord, thank you so much for hearing our cry this morning. Thank you so much for allowing us the freedom to worship, to exalt, and to magnify your name. Thank you for reminding us of your love and reminding us of your promises, Lord God. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we hear your word, that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be open, and that we would not just hear your word, but that we would respond to it in faith. God, glorify yourself in our time together in your word. We thank you for this, and we pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. And as always, I want to remind you that you can follow along in the outline. That's why one of the reasons it's important to have it. Also, so you can take some notes. I think that, that notes are important. I have a pretty good memory, but I don't remember everything. Um, I speak kind of fast, so you may need to take some notes. And um, some people will go back and listen to this message over again. And I encourage you to do that as well. That can be helpful. Um, but also, also very important to me is that you always remember that you are a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you're called to make disciples. And the way that you make disciples is by teaching others God's word. And sometimes we feel inadequate. We feel incapable of teaching someone scripture. And so my hope is that as you take notes on the verses that I'm talking about, that you can take somebody and you can sit down with them over coffee, over lunch, over breakfast, over whatever, and you can just talk about what you're learning. And that is how you will, A, grow in your faith, but also, you will be helping them grow in their faith and in the journey of being a disciple of Jesus. And so I highly encourage you to do that. If you have not um, been doing that with someone, then you should really be praying about it and really considering what you're going to do. Uh, also, our memory verse, next week I will be looking at you eye to eye because you're going to memorize it by next week and so will I. Uh, but definitely we want to go over this verse. We're going to say it three times together. So let's say it together. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Again, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Last time, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Come on and give yourselves a hand. Good reading of the scripture. We are continuing in our series in our, it's all about Jesus in the book of Colossians and as you have noticed we have been taking our time going through the book of Colossians. I'm never in a rush to run through any book of the Bible. I want to do my best to teach through scripture and make sure that we understand it clearly but especially this particular portion that we're dealing with the warnings that the Apostle Paul starts to give them and so we dealt with Gnosticism the first week when we got into the warnings I dealt with Gnosticism. And then the next week that we dealt with the text, um, Dr. Pete, he dealt with legalism. And today we're going to deal with the warning against mysticism. And then next week we're going to talk about the warning against asceticism. And so those are the four isms, the four um, false beliefs that we're trying to be mixed in with Christian belief there. And if you look at your outline there, the paragraph says, Many in our culture profess to be non-judgmental and condemn judging others, but the reality is very few if any live this if you don't agree with their judgments they judge you so that sounds a bit judgmental does it not I'm just saying, right? And so, like, you're, you know, it's kind of like, I, I don't know about you, but um, how many of y'all have heard of Planet Fitness? Anybody heard of Planet Fitness? And it is, it is called the judgment-free zone, right? Unless you drop weights. If you drop weights, they judge you, and they do what? They do this thing called a lunk alarm. I've been there a couple of times, and all of a sudden, you'll hear this alarm. So if you're ever at Planet Fitness, and you're working out, and all of a sudden, you hear this alarm go off, it's because somebody's being judged. Hello. The judgment-free zone. There's no such thing, right? We all make judgments, right? Every one of us makes judgments, right? We all make judgments. We all make judgment calls. And the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, if you're in here and you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to think a different way than those who profess to believe in Jesus. And they're going to, th and you're going to think however you want to think. And that's fine because you're not held to the standard of the Bible. But the reality is, if you are in here today and you are a believer in Jesus, then you need to think about the judgments you make. 
You need to think about the things that you talk about. And like your outline says there, we need to be sure in regards to salvation and sanctification that our judgments are biblical. And when I say that, that our judgments are biblical, it means that when we, when we talk about things, that we are saying what the Bible says about those things. That we're not making it up as we go along, that we're not giving our opinion on topics, but that our opinions are aligning with what? With what the Bible says. And I want you to know this, that we don't live in a culture that is super biblically tolerant. Are you here? They want the script, the scriptures to be twisted to accommodate, but that is a norm. And so for us as Christians, we shouldn't get super, I mean, we should obviously stand against lies and against things that are not aligning with scripture. But what's more important is that we ensure that we are communicating what the Bible says, that our judgments are aligned with scripture. In other words, we need to make sure we're talking about salvation. There is only one way to heaven, and that is what? Through Jesus. Amen. If you're a believer, you should have said amen, like, loudly, right? Like, that was an amen moment, right, for you. Let me train you here, right? When those, those, those things, right? That, okay, so let me say that again. So there is only one way to heaven, and that is Jesus. Amen. There we go. We got it now. So, so, so for the believer, right, like, if you say that you are a believer in Jesus, the reason you said amen is not because I just trained you, right? That's not why. The, the reason why you say amen is because you really agree with this. You, you believe that there is that, that you can't just meditate your way into heaven. Hello, somebody. You believe that you can't just do good works to get into heaven, right? You believe that the Bible teaches that we can do nothing. That's the whole gospel presentation is that we are born into sin, separated from God. We can do nothing. Our religious activity, we can go to church every Sunday. We can give all kinds of money to religious things. We can be the most benevolent people. We can be the most kind people. And all of those things fall short of the glory of God. There is a separation between God and man and the only way that we are reconciled and we are brought back into a relationship with God is through the work of Jesus are you here some of us even as believers don't believe that do you get you know what I'm talking about some of you think you are saving yourself are you here some of you think your good works are saving you. Some of you think your good works are somehow keeping you. Some, some of us feel that way. We have to be delivered from that mindset. It doesn't mean we don't do good works. It doesn't mean we don't live holy because that brings us to the next thing that we need to make correct judgment calls on, and that is sanctification. Sanctification is what? It is us being separated to God from sin. It is us deciding what is holy, what is okay, what is unholy, and what is not okay. And as believers, we have to be in agreement on those things as well. And I'll tell you this, it's really easy, and I want you to get this, that when you think about what we're supposed to be calling holy, it's real simple to figure that out. What does the Bible say? Are you here? It's not what we think. It's not what our opinions are. It's not what we feel good about, because you know what? You can do wrong long enough and start to feel okay about it. I'll let that sink in. Later on, you'll get that over lunch, right? You can do wrong long enough and it'll start to feel okay. You can, you can do wrong and you can justify your sin long enough and it feels like that is normal. That is all right. That does not make it all right. That just means that you have allowed your conscience to become seared like the book of Ephesians says because you have continued to disobey what the Bible teaches. Therefore, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at what Scripture says and we're supposed to obey what it says. We're supposed to adhere. If you are a believer in the room, you are called to adhere 
counter to what the Bible teaches. Judgment is important for us when we make those judgment calls, especially when it comes to salvation and it comes to our sanctification, when we're dealing with those things, which is what Paul is addressing when he's talking to these believers and he's dealing with the mysticism that is going on in their culture, he's trying to teach them how to make proper judgments and say, listen, mysticism is not the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. Mysticism is not the way to save yourself. Reincarnation and other lives is not the way that you're going to be saved and suddenly you'll be either holy enough if you were good enough and be able to get to, you know, nirvana or wherever you're trying to go through some like reincarnation. That, that's not how this happens. Paul is saying it's not through mysticism. It's not through all of these feelings and these emotions. That's not where that is. It is through what? It is through the work of Christ. And so here's the big idea that I have for you this morning. Christ is our head. His work defines our spirituality, not mystical experiences. Christ is our head. He is the leader. It is him. He's the one that leads us. His work defines our spirituality, not mystical experiences. It is the work of Christ that says that I am loved. It is not my experiences or my feelings. See, and I can confess to you that as a young believer, this was a struggle for me. Because I come from a Pentecostal background. And so as, as, a, as a person who came from a Pentecostal background, anybody who's from a Pentecostal background, you know that feelings matter. Are you here? And let me just say something before you think I'm criticizing my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Feelings matter. Someone say amen. amen. Right? Worship is not supposed to be disconnected from emotion. Like, you're not supposed to be like just a robot, like, Lord, I love you, your reckless love. Like, I mean, I think there should be some, like, emotion in that, right? Now, I'm not telling you you got to get all like everybody else that, you know, does. But what I'm saying is there should be some emotion going on, right? Like, in worship. Worship is meant to be, I believe, this is just my, I'm going I'm to throw my opinion. This is my opinion. I'm not saying this in the Bible. But I, I think that, well, no, this is in the Bible because God says this. He says that they draw near to me with their mouths. But their hearts are far from me. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about my heart, my emotion. That's talking about who I am and my inner being. And so those things should be connected. But, but, but as a young man that was coming to Christ, if I didn't feel God, I wasn't sure if God loved me. Are you here? I don't know. You may have never struggled with this, right? You may have never, this may have never been a thing in your life. But I know for me, like when I would sin, if I didn't feel God's presence, I was like, man, am I forgiven? I guess that's just me. But anyway, it's, it's all right. I'll, I'll, conf I'll confess where I was at. And so my relationship was like up and down. So if I was like super holy and I had a great day, I felt like God loved me and I felt like my hair stand up. I don't have any more here, but, you know, I felt hair standing up um, and, and I felt like, okay, God loves me. And that means that I'm right with God. But if I don't feel those things and all of a sudden I'm not right with God, can I tell you something? That's a lie. Because what I realize moving forward is that every single time that I go into my room to pray, the Shekinah glory of God doesn't come down every time. What I realize every time that I go into my room to pray is that sometimes I might feel like my prayers haven't left the room. And can I tell you something? Your prayers don't need to leave the room because God walks in the room. Are you here? See, you see, 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 we have to understand what the Bible teaches us, right? So when I come into God's presence, it's not about me leaving this atmosphere in some mystical experience. It's about me living by faith in the finished work of Jesus. That is what defines my spirituality. It is not some mystical things that are going on. And that is what these people in Colossae were dealing with. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must refuse... To be cheated of our reward. 
We must refuse to be cheated of our reward. And so just to kind of recap, Paul writes this section beginning in verse 4 so that we would not be deceived. That was his purpose in writing these warnings. He did not want us to be deceived. He didn't want us to be cheated in verse 8, which we dealt with. And that word cheated there, that word means to be led astray, being taken captive. He didn't want the people of Colossae in the Gnosticism to be carried away and to be taken captive. And then um, two weeks ago when Dr. Pete preached from the text on legalism, he dealt with verse 12 and is that we would not be judged. And then today we're dealing with this word not to be cheated of your reward in verse 18, the first part of that verse. Let no one cheat you of your reward. And this is a Greek word that has two parts. It's a compound Greek word. And the first part of the word is the word kata. And what that word means, it means a Against. And then the second one is brabil, and what it means is to act as a judge or an umpire. And so what he's saying is, don't let anyone judge against you and, and remove you from your reward. Don't let anyone tell you, ah, you know what, you're not spiritual enough. Ah, you know what, you don't, you, you don't have that experience. Well, you know what, you really don't know God. You, 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 haven't, you haven't experienced that. You don't know God. You know, one of the things that, I, that, that I, I, I struggle with is, one, I love to share my story and how I came to faith in Christ. Because I think that is such an amazing, you know, the way that God intervened in my life, the way that God transformed me. I mean, it, to me, it's overwhelming. But I struggle because not everybody's going to have that experience. Not everybody's going to hear God's voice the way that I did. Not everybody's going to be radically changed overnight the way that I was. You know what? For some of you, you know how you are going to grow. Some of you have already experienced this where you started like following Jesus. You didn't know any better. And you begin to grow in your relationship with God. There's not like one day that you can say, yeah, that was the day. There are days that you can realize, oh, I was changing. God was working. All right. When you look back, that's some of you. Some of you are still on that journey. You haven't even had that moment. And you don't even realize that God has been working on you all this time. Are you here? You don't even realize, you're going to look back at this day. You're going to look back at this day one day. For some of you that are in here that are not believers, and you'll be like, man, God was talking to me that day. I didn't even realize it. I'm letting you know right now, God's talking to you right now. You don't even realize it. That's crazy, right? But you're going to remember this day. But nonetheless, God is, God is working, but, but the enemy wants you to believe that, man, you're not spiritual enough. These experiences, if you're not having these, if these things are not happening to you, then you're not spiritual enough. You're, you're not spiritually mature. You haven't arrived. That is what the people in Colossae were dealing with. They were, they, they, there was this thing that was going on. And here's what we have to remember about the spirit that was in operation. It's called the Antichrist spirit. And when you think about the Antichrist spirit, it's not just a spirit that is against Christ, but it is a spirit that wants to replace Christ. It, 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 see, see, this spirit is okay with you calling on Jesus as long as you're dependent on other things as well. This spirit is okay with you going to church as long as you're still dabbling in these other areas, right? It, it, it's okay with you, you know, calling upon, you know, the, the Lord or whatever. But as long as you're not just completely dependent upon Christ. And see, here's the scary thing. The scary thing is that Paul gives a warning. And listen, when I read warnings, warnings matter. Are you here? Right? Like, like, like when you walk into a place or you're driving down the road and there's a warning sign, like you're paying attention, right? Because if there's potholes, you don't want to run into those potholes. If a road is changing or something like that, you want to see that you're not driving off the road or something, right? And so warnings matter. And can I tell you something? God is giving a clear warning here through the Apostle Paul to the people at Colossae. He's talking to the church there and he's saying, listen, man, don't let anyone cheat you of your reward. Don't let anyone get you off track. 
track. And here's the fact. The fact is you got to ask this question. Man, how far off track can someone go before they're not even on the track anymore and not going in the right direction? How far? How far? And this is what Paul is warning against. And I want you to know something. In our day, it's the same thing. We have these things that divert us, these things that lead us astray. And, and whenever we get caught up in false teaching of any kind, there is a danger of us being cheated as we go astray from the truth. And here's the bottom line. We must hold fast to Christ, not allowing mystical experiences to define our spirituality. Listen, you are loved because Jesus died for you. That's how you know. No matter what you feel, listen, there are days that I do not feel loved by God, but I know I'm loved. There are moments that I don't feel this overwhelming sensation, right? It's kind of like my relationship with my wife. Like when my wife is present next to me and she's running her fingers through my head or playing with my ear or whatever she's doing, I sense the love of that wonderful woman of God, right? I sense that. But then when my wife is not in the room with me, do I think, man, does she still love me? Right? Like that would be st stupid, right? If I could just be clear, like, but here's the thing. That's how we are. Like, I feel it. Oh, I know he loves me. But then you don't feel it. Oh, I don't know if he loves me. Listen, he loves you, and he wants you to know that that is what defines your spirituality is his love for you. The second thing, ask you to repeat after me, is this. Say, we must recognize worship wrapped in false humility. We must recognize worship that is wrapped in false humility. Look at the text. It says in verse 18, it says, let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And so we're talking about this false worship. So what is mysticism, right? Because I've said the word a few times, but let me give you the definition, just a simple definition. It is the belief in intuitive spiritual revelation, a belief in intuitive, like, like you're just going to feel your way to heaven. Hello. Like, you're just going to feel your way to God. You're going to feel your way in this life. Like, I'm going to just be close to God because of how I feel. I'm going to go by those things. You know what the problem with that is? The problem is there's no standard for that. The problem is then you become God. God is not God. The problem is then your experience becomes God. God is not God. The way that you feel is God. The way that you sense things is God rather than God being God. And so Paul, is, he, he, is, he is opposed to this mystical way of teaching. The teaching that mystical experience defines spiritual maturity was a danger to the church of Colossae as well as it is today. Here's what I want you to understand. We should never seek experiences. We must seek the Savior. Are you here? We must never get caught up in seeking experiences. Like I want, and listen, and I can tell you this from experience. Hello. I can, <laughs> y'all are tough today. Like y'all sleeping hungry. I don't know. But anyway, I've said like 19 jokes. I can't get like a laugh in the room. Y'all like loosen up or something. Like stand up, like shake out. I don't know. But anyway, you know. But, but I can tell you, I had to throw a pun in there and like make my own joke. But, but nonetheless, the, the reality is, right, the reality is that we have, we, 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 we have this, 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 this thing that we have to fight against. And it is that I'm going to seek an experience. And if I don't have an experience, then, man, I don't know if God loves me. I, I, don't know if God, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if my spiritual life is good. I'm seeking experience. You know what? That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to seek the Savior. 
We're supposed to seek Christ. And let me tell you this. This is a beautiful reality. The reality is that God is gracious. And as you are seeking his face and as you are pursuing him, you know what he allows you to do? He allows you to experience him. He allows you to experience his love, his warmth, his presence. Not all the time. Not when you want it, but when you need it. Hello. And I know some of us think, well, man, but I needed it and he wasn't there. Oh, he was there. That wasn't what you needed at that moment. See, see, we think we know what we need a lot of times, don't we? But I think he knows a little bit better. I'm just saying, that's just my thought there. The mystical teaching, what, what was it marked by? Well, first of all, it was marked by the worship of angels. What was, that, what was that talking about? They were worshiping angels, which is idolatry, by the way. And the reason why they were worshiping angels was because they were walking in humility, because they were not holy enough to come before God, so they would worship the angels instead. They would bow to the angels similar, and I, and I had this conversation with a guy who was studying to be a deacon in the Catholic Church, and as he, as he was telling me about his um, teaching in there, I was asking him questions because I didn't understand everything. I've never really studied Catholicism, but I asked him about praying to the saints and things like that, and he explained to me what it was, that certain people have, you know, received sainthood, and so you pray, you pray to these saints so that way they can pray to you. In other words, you can't talk to God. They talk to God for you. Is that biblical? Sounds really humble, though, right? Like, you're not holy enough, right? Like, that's, that really shows you. I can't even come before God. I can't even come before God's presence because he's so holy. And so, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not going to approach him. I'm going to let the saints that are already dead and gone before me, they're going to approach him for me. Sounds real humble now. Come on now. Let's be honest, right? You're saying, like, man, I'm not even worthy to come into your presence, God. Listen, what we have to realize is that that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we are to walk in humility, but it doesn't say that we're supposed to walk in false humility. And so they have this false humility. So they're worshiping angels. So that's idolatry. And then they have these visions or they have these, these, these experiences that they're like, man, those things make them really spiritual. They're not substantiated because what the apostle is saying is that they're intruding in things that they've seen or that they haven't seen. These things that they're saying that they've seen. And Paul is not denying that they've seen something. He's denying that they've seen the real thing. He's denying that they've experienced the Almighty God. And, 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 and let me tell you what marks this. Let me tell you how you know when someone has really encountered God. Because look at what the last part of that verse says about them. It says, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You see, when you are having false experiences, you know how you come out on the other side? Prideful. You know how you come out on the other side? You come out on the other side judging others. You come out on the other side thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You see, when you look back at the, in our Bibles, you can tell how someone should come out of the presence of God. The book of, uh, of Isaiah chapter 6 is a perfect picture of how someone encounters God and comes out of his presence. If you go back there, you don't have to turn there right now. On your own time, I would encourage you to do that because this is such a beautiful picture of an encounter with God. And the Bible says that, that, he, that, that in the year that King Uzziah died, this king had passed away and that Isaiah was in a in a time in the presence of the Lord. And it says that he had a vision and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And it says that there were cherubim. These are angels that are huge angels. Six winged. There were two of the wings that were covering their face. With two of the wings they were covering their feet. With two of the wings they were flapping. And then they were crying out one to the other as they were looking upon the holiness of God from afar. And they were crying out saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the 
Bible says that the temple was trembling at the sound of the voice of these angelic beings. And Isaiah, when he has this vision, you know what he does? He walks out of God's presence. He's like, yo, I'm the man. I just had an encounter with God. Let me tell you all about your sin. No, if you read the text, the Bible says, he immediately says, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. You know what he did? He didn't just recognize the sin of everyone around him. He recognized the sin inside of him because he had an encounter with the almighty and holy one of heaven. And when you encounter God, you do not walk out of his presence more prideful. You walk out of his presence more humble. You walk out of his presence more broken. You walk out of his presence understanding he is the only one that is holy and his mercy has been extended to you and that is it. That is what happens when you encounter God. That's the reason why you don't depend on the mystical experiences. Because what? Because it's about understanding the gospel and the power of God and what God has done. See, the truly humble apply what the text says. We don't walk around saying, no, God, I can't come to you because you're too holy. That is false humility. Why? Because God invites us to come into his presence. He says to come to the throne room of grace with boldness in your time of need that you may receive mercy. Mercy, hello somebody. And the truly humble, the ones that are truly encountering God, that's how we live our lives. Listen, I'm a believer in this place, and you know what? I live my life like that. I come boldly before God's presence, not because I am so good, because he is so merciful. It's not because I am so great. It is because Jesus died so I could enter into the presence of God. And so I don't consider myself wonderful, holy, and righteous. I consider him wonderful, holy, and righteous, and he invites me into his presence. And I live my life depending upon the mercy and the grace of God. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. We must ensure we are holding fast to the head. We must ensure that we are holding fast to the head. Look at verse 19. He says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. And so somebody was not holding fast at this exact moment. And, 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 and what was happening was these false teachers, they were holding fast to something else as their head. They were holding fast to their experience as their head. They were holding fast to, the, to, to their emotions and their sensations and what they felt as their head rather than holding fast to Jesus. And Paul says, listen, they are not holding fast. You need to make sure that you're holding fast. He said, holding fast to the head. And see, I don't even think the apostle Paul has had the ability. He was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't have the ability to appreciate this analogy of the head, Jesus being the head as we do today. Because while they understood what? They did understand clearly the, the intricacies to some extent. They understood some of, 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 the, of the detail of the way the head controlled the body, but they didn't have x-rays. They didn't have the teachings and understanding like we do because of science today. And so what we realize today is that at this exact moment, as you're sitting down in your seat, there's communication going from your head to other parts of your body, right? If you're in pain anywhere, guess what? You've been fighting that pain this whole time. You know what's been happening while you're sitting there? This pain, this, this thing has been running from your head to wherever that 
pain is to your head to where that pain is. And you're having this little struggle, like, can Bishop hurry up so I can stand up? And so, nonetheless, right, like, that's just how it is, right? Or if you're hungry and you're sitting there like, man, something's going. And so there's a communication that's going from your head to your stomach. You get up and you walk out the door right here. I pray this doesn't happen to anyone. But you walk out the door and you stub your toe. Guess what's going to happen? There's going to be an immediate sensation that goes from your toe to your brain. And you're going to know that you're in pain. It went back to your toe. And you feel this excruciating pain. And it's because of this communication between the head and the body. The head and the body. The head communicates. And if there is a break in that communication, you know what happens to that limb? It experiences paralysis. If there is a break in that communication, that limb does not do what it's supposed to do. Whenever somebody's in a really bad car accident or something like that, and they're laying in a bed for a long time, what happens to them? They have to go through something called rehabilitation because they need to do what? They need to retrain their brain to communicate to those parts of their body where communication was broken, and that way they can actually function the way that they used to. And think about that in the context of the body of Christ. When you allow some else to be your head you become disconnected from Jesus as the head and therefore you experience paralysis and God's purpose for your life you are not walking in what God wills for your life because you are disconnected from the one that he says three things here he says number one he's the one that nourishes us number two he's the one that knits us together and number three he's what he's the one that gives us the growth that he wills and so the first thing we realize is that what? From the head comes nourishment. If we're not connected to Jesus, if Jesus is not the head of our lives, we are not being nourished spiritually the way that we should be. We're not experiencing the nourishment that should be occurring within our body. A couple of weeks ago, I used the word nutrified. It was actually the word nourished. I like nutrified better, though. That's just throw that out there. <laughs> but you're, you're not being nutrified. Hello, somebody. Right, I love that word. I'm going to keep it whatever. I'm, I'm going to write to Webster's and all these other and be like, hey, you need to add this, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, you get nourishment from Jesus as the head. Whatever's your head, that's where your nourishment is coming from. But the next thing is what? He says that they are knit together, right? And so nourish means supplied or minister nourishment to meet the needs of the body. Whatever the needs are, they come from the head, which is Jesus. And then he says that they are nourished and knit together, right, like ligaments. And when I thought about this word knit together, the word actually means to cause, to coalesce, or to merge, to unite, to join together. And I have these things here. You're probably wondering why these are up here, like I'm going to start doing a crocheting class or something like that. But the reality is, when my daughter was a little bit younger, um, Sister Grace and, and a couple of other people, they used to do a, a, a crocheting class. They were teaching them how to knit and stuff like that. And so I, I was asking to bring me a, a blanket that they had knit, but they didn't have one available. And the, the reality is that how do these two things, they look good by themselves, right? But how do these two things, these two balls of yarn, how do they become a nice blanket that keeps you warm? A nice something that covers you, that does something well. It is because they have to, and, and they're inanimate objects, so they don't have a choice in the matter, but they have to be subjected unto someone who knows how to knit. If you asked me to knit something and you were going to cover yourself with it, you'd be in trouble. Hello, somebody. Because I don't know how to knit. I, I, I know how to sew, but I do not know how to knit anything. You'd you, you just be messed up. But the reality is it, it looks good by, themsel by themselves, right? It looks okay. But when it comes together, you all have gone and you've seen something that's been knit together. And it comes and they have these different, that they're doing what? They're coalescing. They're merging together. They're submitting one to another. And when Jesus is not your head, you want to know what happens? You end up being out of alignment with his will. 
You end up being, you, you, you don't want to connect with and unite with the body of Christ the way that God wants you, the way that God knits you together. And then what happens is what? You end up not seeing the last part, which is the growth that God wills. See, God wants there to be spiritual growth to your life. And if you are not connected to the head, receiving nourishment, if you are not aligned with the body, receiving encouragement, if you are not aligned with that, then guess what happens? You are not growing the way that God wills. That's the bottom line. If you're not connected with the body, you're not growing the way that God designed you to grow. Listen, we need one another. You may not think that you need anyone else in your life. You may think that God created you to be an island. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Hello. God did not create you to be an island. God didn't create you to be by yourself. God created you to grow in the community of believers into what he wills and also to be a source of supply. So listen, don't be out there by yourself feeling like you're spiritual enough. Listen, none of us is ever spiritual enough. God wants us to grow spiritually. He wants us to grow how we are. And then as a church, he wants us to expand our influence into the lives of other people. He wants us to impact them. But you know what he wants to do? He doesn't just want us to do that by ourselves. He wants us to do that collectively. He wants us to be aligned with him, to be nourished from him. And so as we're thinking about this, I want you to realize this. The enemy wants us to hold fast to anything and everything besides Jesus. He wants us to hold fast to all kinds of stuff. Listen, I don't know what your head is, but you got to think about that. Right? I'm going to ask that question at the end. Who is your head or what is your head? But you know what? He wants us to hold on to other stuff. He wants us to hold on to other people. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to hold. He wants other things to be our head. He wants other things to be where we get nourishment from. He wants other things to be the things that define us instead of Jesus. He wants us to be out of alignment. So we have to make a choice. Are we going to hold fast to him? And listen, we can't allow, and we're talking about mystical things, and that's the context here. We cannot allow mystical experiences to be our head, but Christ must be our head, and he alone must define us. Why do I say that as I'm wrapping this up? Because when we look at mystical experiences, especially in our culture, that's all about feeling and all about emotion. You know what happens, man? I'm going to tell you this right now. When your foundation and your roots are mystical experiences and not scripture, you know what you will do? You will be just like a drug addict that is going from one high to the next. You're going to be seeking one mystical experience from the next. And before you know it, you're going to be sitting in some Buddhist temple somewhere. And you're going to be worshiping and be like, well, I'm worshiping Jesus. No, you are not. Because Jesus is not down with your idolatry are you here Jesus is not one God among all gods he is the only God remember the pleroma he is the deity he is the fullness of God he is God and God alone and so we have to make a choice are we going to worship him or are we going to worship all kind of other stuff is he going to be the head or is something or someone else going to be the head and so my closing questions are this who is your head who is the one that's leading you? Is it Christ? Is it his gospel? Is it his truth? What really defines you? What is it really that defines you? What, what is it that you, or who is it that you really believe you are and why? Why do you believe that? Is it because of your feelings? Is it because of your experiences? Is it because of what someone told you? Or is it because of what Jesus did for you? What is the reason there? And in what do you find your security? See, when I answer that last question there, we'll find all these other ones. In what do I find my security? What is it I find my security in? Do I find my security in work? Do I find my security in success? Do I find my security in friends? Do I find my security in relationship? Do I find my security in money? What do I find my security in? Again, looking at the myth mystical experiences, do I find my security in mystical experiences and emotions and things that have nothing to do with Scripture? 
or do I find my security in Christ and his finished work? And so as I close, I want you to think about this. If you're in this place and you do not know Jesus, today is an opportunity for you to call upon him and make him the head of your life. It is your opportunity to call upon him and allow him to define you as his son, as his daughter. It is your opportunity to say, God, I want to find my security in you. You do that by confessing that you need God. And that you don't want to be the same as you leave this place. And if you're a believer in this place and you're struggling with Jesus being the head, you're struggling with Jesus being your source, you're struggling with these things, you're struggling with that, today's a day for you to say, God, I surrender to you and I humble my heart before you. Amen? Let's all stand on our feet and let's pray together. God Almighty, we come to you today. And Lord, your word has been spoken and we thank you for that. And I pray today that you would open our ears, that we would be able to respond to you, God. Let us not be rebellious in our seats. Let us not be disobedient to your calling. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that has sensed you calling them to make you the head. Lord, let them not leave this place today without you being the head of their lives. For those that are struggling with this, Lord God, I pray that you would help them to walk in the fullness of who you are, trusting and finding their security in you and in you alone. Lord, I rebuke every plan of the enemy against the lives of my brothers, my sisters, and even those in this place that I don't know today. May your plans, may your purposes, may we be nourished by you, may we be knit together by you, and may we grow supernaturally by you, God. We thank you for this, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.